0: Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to be together on this New Year's Eve to worship God together, to open His Word together. Do you like this new setup? This is pretty fun, right? For our uh, Watch Week today is a special day. If you're new to Grace, welcome. We're glad you're here. But also, it is uh, for us a really special time uh, as a as a church because for the last several several years. Uh, as a church family, we have stopped and set aside the first few days of the year to reset our hearts and our minds around the things of God, to refocus our attention and to give space for Jesus, primarily through worship, through prayer, and through fasting. We call this watch week uh, uh, this this carrying along with this ancient tradition of waiting, watching for what the Lord is doing and if you 're like me, I know going into this year. Uh, I need to encounter Jesus in a fresh way. Amen? You know, you may not know this, but this is actually an election year. Yeah. You remember what happened the last election year? That was 2020. I know most of you try, have tried to forget that year, but it did happen. That was a real thing. This is 2024. We're entering into starting tomorrow. And we, as the people of God, are called to be salt and light in a world, a, a tumultuous, chaotic, crisis-filled world. World That we are called to be people of peace, of hope, of blessing, of joy, of expectation. That our hearts cry in prayer that we don't give up on is as the Lord taught us to pray. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so it feels very appropriate knowing what is looming on the horizon in our circumstances, is that we would set our minds and our souls on the things of God. And, and so, you're going to want a Bible this morning. We're going to uh, dive into the text, and we're actually going to be kind of all over the place, but we're going to start, i going to flip to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13. And uh, I know I'm in my comfy attire. Uh, I was told that today was uh, PJs and Pop-Tarts day which is greatly disappointing because apparently the Pop-Tarts are only for the kids. So I at least got my PJs on and uh, we're ready to go. Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebrations, uh, Celebration of Discipline, uh, has this great quote. He says, Psalm 42.7 reads, Deep calls to deep. And perhaps somewhere in the subterranean chambers of your life, you have heard the call to deeper fuller living. You've become weary of frothy experiences and shallow teaching. Every now and then you've caught glimpses, hints of something more than you have known. Inwardly, you long to launch out into the deep. Does that resonate with anyone? This longing for the deeper things of God. And I really do believe that as a church family, one of the ways, many ways, that I'm so blessed and honored to to get to, to... pastor, this community, is it really is a people that hunger for the deeper things of God, that want to go after the deeper experiences and encounters with the Lord, that want to be people rooted deeply in their faith, growing into the things of the Lord, fruitful in life, living lives of substance and depth, meaning and vitality. We encounter that kind of church in Acts chapter thirteen. I'm gonna throw that up on the slide there. I think we got some slides for some of these scriptures. The Holy Spirit has uh At Pentecost, after the the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus told his disciples to to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and uh, that they would be filled with power from on high. And so they do, and they wait there in Jerusalem. In the upper room, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down on them, and they encounter God not just in sporadic, random encounters only for a select few people at, a, in a, for, at select times in a select place, but for all people everywhere all the time. That's the invitation of Christian living, is this expectation of the presence of God, the availability of God right now for every one of us. Male and female, no matter our backgrounds or our histories, our failures and our flaws, God wants to encounter you right now, walk with you, abide with you, make his home in you, that you were designed for communion with God. That's the reality that we're called to live into. That is the awareness of the kingdom breaking in to our empire-filled world. And that distribution of the Holy Spirit on God's people sent them out into the streets. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his kingdom began to spread to all people. And there was this one church in this Gentile, meaning non-Jewish part of the world, called Antioch. And there in Antioch, God had gathered up these people from all different backgrounds and histories. And together, they were learning to follow Jesus. And listen to this description. And let us live into it as we enter into this watch week. Here, 2023 becoming 2024. Verse 1. Now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. People that could hear from God and respond to what he was saying and people that were able to teach the ways of God and most specifically in the accounts of Jesus prophets and teachers and here named some of them Barnabas Simeon who was called Niger Lucius of Cyrene Menaean a lifelong friend of Herod the tetrarch and Saul even there, that's not giving you the whole list of everyone that was in that church, but there's a, a, just a, some key names in there of some of their leaders that's really giving this sense of the diversity of this congregation. You have somebody from from uh, from subterranean uh, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, a man called Niger. Uh, you have... Uh, lucius of cyrene in the mediterranean you've got a wealthy individual who's part of the herod kingdom family and and part of grew up with herod as a young man you've got all of these people rich and poor from all over the world gathered together and the thing that unites them is jesus jesus They move past all of their backgrounds, all of their preferences, all of their personalities, and they say, we are going to focus and encounter God under one banner, and that banner is Jesus. And that is the banner that we are going to fly here at Grace Monroe. We are going to stand under, and in a world divided and in conflict is what's going to bring us together. We are about Jesus and his kingdom first. That's the, the... allegiance we pledge primarily and all things fall under that now while they were, listen what they were doing while they were worshiping the Lord what we have the the privilege and the pleasure of getting to do in our regular rhythm of Sunday worship when we praise God and declare his worth and his majesty and fasting everyone's favorite spiritual word The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who's eventually to become Paul, just to give you a heads up on that, for the work to which I have called them. So after, again, what? Fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. This empowering for mission and ministry into new places, into a new season. God continued to advance his gospel work. And what is the soil, the fertile soil out of which this gospel movement springs? What is is the fertilizer in that soil that we find in this passage? Well, three things. Worship, prayer, and fasting. Now, today, as you are all thinking about your New Year's Eve parties and which wing flavors you're going to eat tomorrow while you're watching the bowl games? We're going to do a deep dive into fasting.: Yeah, I heard that murmur of excitement. Now over the next few weeks, just so you know, as a church, we're going to be going, uh, we're going to do a deep dive into worship. And what is true worship? What is the biblical call for worship and how we encounter God with our praise? And so uh, we'll be looking at that over the next few weeks. But today I wanted to do a, a deep dive into fasting. And part of it is this. It is not, just so. in case you, I, I know I talk about fasting. I know we invite the church into fast all throughout the year. Uh, it is not because I love fasting. Just, true confession, I hate it. It is like one of my least favorite things. It's also been one of the most powerful things in my life that God has used and, and pushed me into deeper places with him. And so I'm, it's not like I'm a huge cheerleader for fasting. But if I'm going to be a, uh, if I'm going to stay true to Scripture and what God, and Scripture calls us to, and the kind of people and the way that He's forming us as people, I can't get around it. And the other part of it is, it really has been neglected in the evangelical church. And there's a number of reasons for that, and we'll get into some of those. But I'm curious, how many of you have heard a sermon focused on fasting? There's a handful, Yeah. It's not something we talk about a lot. It doesn't make the typical church sermon series calendar in the evangelical church. Now, some of you grew up maybe in some other traditions where it was more prominent or more rich. For me, fasting growing up, it was basically what the youth group did to raise money around Lent. And then we uh, ended up really trying to reduce it down to say, okay, well, I don't really want to fast from food because I really like food. And so I'm going to fast from, well, Something that I don't actually enjoy anyway. So for Lent this year, I'm giving up broccoli. <laughs> Anyone? Anyone else? I know I'm not the only one. Any uh, 90s youth group kids, I know you're with me. Now, biblically fasting is about food. Now, giving up other things like social media or news feeds or, uh, you know, whatever, gossip. Things you should probably give up anyway, just go on and give up and don't call that fasting. But, uh, but fasting from other things like social media might actually be a really good, healthy exercise. In fact, I would encourage you. Fasting from electronics, you know, taking a Sabbath rest each week that you just break from your cell phone. It's probably really good for your souls. But that's not biblically, you know, or Bible teaching church. That's not biblically what fasting is talking about in the Bible. Though it is probably good to intentionally abstain from certain things, behaviors, actions, items, whatever it is, for a period of time. But biblically fasting, is the Hebrew word zoom. Say that, zoom. And it, what it, it means, literally, it, it's to cover the mouth. So cover your mouth. And so it carries with it this idea of preventing or keeping from food, from, from not partaking of eating. Now, sometimes in the Bible, it also includes water or liquid. But, most of the time, it is talking specifically about abstaining from food for a set period of time. Now, before I, I dive into this, and we're going to move through a lot of passages uh, pretty quickly, um, I do want to just kind of give a disclaimer, and that is this. If, that, if you're a kid in the room, uh, if you're underweight, if you're expecting or breastfeeding, if you're diabetic or have a heart condition, if you have a history of eating disorders, then please consider other ways to deepen your spiritual faith. And, uh, and with wisdom and prudence enter into what I'm talking about uh, because there are, certain, there are times that it would not be wise to enter into this practice. Now at the same time, I don't want the fact that that may be risky for some people to keep us from diving into what the Bible might have be inviting us into as a, a church community. So fasting is a way of launching into a deeper walk with God. So why is this not popular? Well, it's not fun. It, yeah, it's not fun to deny ourselves uh, f- from food. It's not it's a, to deny our appetite. And we live in a culture that tells us that if you don't eat three square meals a day and have plenty of snacks in between, you're going to die. And at times it feels that way, doesn't it? And how many of you uh, parents, uh, we have a, a, a phrase in our family called getting hangry. That's hungry, angry. And we know it. We see it in our kids, right? Like, I mean, the times when you're like, you just need to eat. And then that's when they become more adamant that I'm not hungry. I don't need, you don't know. You just don't care. It's like, please, dear Lord, just eat something. All right? But how many of us have acted like four-year-olds throwing ourselves on the floor? And you find out it's like, well, no, actually, I'm just hungry. We're ruled by our appetites. We live in a culture, you're you are bombarded with messages that says, what you're feeling is the most true thing about you. And if you're feeling it, it must be true. And if it, if it must be true, it's who you are. And so don't deny yourself anything that must be true of who you are. And... Add that to, because of that baseline belief in our culture, add that to a technology system that has built every means available to shorten the length of time it takes us to get that thing that we want. And so it's not even like we pause long enough to even question the system that we we are existing in. Say, is there a different way to pull ourselves out and to even examine our own bodies and say, is the thing I'm craving even the thing that I want or need? And will it kill me to deny myself something that I want? Because maybe, just maybe, the universe doesn't revolve around, well, me and my appetite. And so there's a powerful break from the reality in which we live when we enter into fasting. Now, Isaiah 58, God is very clear. He rebukes the nation of Israel and says, and this is actually one of the the two main passages that's used for why we don't fast. If we want a scriptural basis for why not to fast. Uh, Isaiah 58 gets used. And that's because God rebukes them and says, I don't want your fasts. What I want is a heart of justice, that you would be people of mercy. That you would care for the oppressed and the poor. Now, is God saying, don't fast? No, he's saying, get your heart right and come to me on my terms, not assume that I'm going to come to you on your terms because you're, you're initiating certain practices and behaviors. God's saying, you're not obligating me to anything. In fact, I've called you to something, to be people of justice, to be people that care for the brokenhearted, for, for the lost and the least in the world. And you are neglecting all of that. So don't think your fast puts you on a positive space with me. But it's not a question of whether God's saying, hey, so don't fast. The other one is this, where Jesus, uh, in, uh, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus Um, gets questioned about some of the pharisees and they say hey look john the baptist his disciples all fast and and yours don't fast and jesus says hey listen when the bridegroom is with you you throw a party you don't fast and so it was like oh well if jesus is with us right holy spirit's come i've got jesus amen no need to fast anymore right well let's pause for a second and reflect on that one how many of us are experiencing the fullness of jesus in our lives And who in here needs more of Jesus in our lives? And who would argue that our world desperately needs more of Jesus? His peace, his presence, his healing, his reconciliation, his blessing, his grace, his forgiveness, his love, his sacrifice. And Jesus actually does continue on there and he says, there will be a time when the bridegroom is taken from away from them and then they will fast and then you fast forward to revelation and one of the deepest heart-rending cries in revelation is the bride crying out for the bridegroom come lord jesus come so we live in this space of the now but the not yet the waiting and the in-between and so God invites us into this deeper place of encounters. Let's do this. We're a uh, Bible teaching church. So let's do a little overview of the Bible and figure out uh, what does the Bible, because I think we might be surprised how much the Bible talks about fasting, uh, that um, some of these passages and get this sense of what is the point of fasting? Like, what is it? Why do we do we do, it, do we fast from a biblical perspective? The very first mention, if you've heard me talk about this, uh, the the principle of the first mention in biblical study—the first time something is mentioned—it kind of sets the tone for the way the rest of it's used. It's actually very interesting. The first use of the word fast, zoom in the Bible in the Hebrew, uh, is in a very disturbing. Uh, place in the Bible actually one of the, I would argue one of the, the most disturbing uh, stories in the Bible. Um, now, I think this is important because I think if we uh, take an honest look at our world, uh, both the world that surrounds us immediately but also our greater global context, violence and wars, and just atrocity after atrocity, genocide and uh, and crime and poverty, uh, we can recognize the horrific brokenness of the world that we live in. And so it's with that kind of honest courage that we can look at some of these stories of the Bible and see the depravity of humanity come out. So the story is uh, in Judges. We won't get too much into the story. Uh, You can go back and look at some of these passages yourself. In fact, I would encourage you to. Uh, Judges 20, 26, the first mention of fasting in the Bible. The context is this, that uh, the the sons of, of Benjamin, God's people uh, were visited by a priest and his wife, a Levite. And, uh, and I won't I think that we have kids in the room. I won't get into the nature of it. But, uh, but the sons of Benjamin uh, committed an absolute atrocity against the, the, the new wife of this Levi. And uh, ended up killing her. And so that Levite, what he does uh, is he chops her into pieces and sends her piece body parts to the different corners of Israel. And uh, the other brothers and sisters of Israel rally together and say, how can this kind of uh, horror exist in our, in our land? And so they come up in war against their own kinsmen. I mean, can you, are you getting a sense of how awful this whole situation is? And so they line up in battle against their own kinsmen. They go to fight their own people. And, uh, and a bunch of the Israelites, the guys that are on the side of justice and good, get slaughtered in the valley. I mean, this thing is just going from worse to worse to worse. And so we get to Judges 20, 26. That's what it says. Then all the people, the whole army went up and came to Bethel and wept. Bethel was at that time the place that the presence of God dwelt. They sat there before the Lord, and they, first mentioned, fasted that day until evening, offered burnt offerings, peace offerings before the Lord, and the people of Israel inquired of the Lord. So that first context, we have this broken lament and grief. We also have this this plea for, for God's guidance and God to show up and to lead them. It's this begging for God to make things right. This call to God to to join them in their cause for justice and reconciliation. So you get in, in the midst of this really, truly one of the most tragic passages in the Bible, what emerges is the people fasting before God, denying themselves before God to seek after God that he would meet them in this place of brokenness and pain. Okay, the next one, I'm not going to do all of them, but just kind of give an overview. 1 Samuel 7, 3 through 6. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart... Uh, The context of this, sorry, the the ark of God that has been taken by the Philistines has finally come back to Israel. The ark representing the presence of God that was away from the people has made its way back to Israel. And so now the people saying, okay, God, if you've come back to us, uh, Samuel the prophet is saying, God's come back to us. Now it's our time to come back to him. I think we can apply that uh, just as well in a post-Jesus world. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, if you, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you, the, the things you worshiped, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherah, and they serve the Lord only. So Samuel said to them, gather all of Israel at Mitzpah and I will pray to the Lord for you so they gathered at mitzvah and drew water and poured it out before the lord and fasted on that day and said there we have sinned against the lord so we have there the first one is lament guidance uh the second one would be repentance and deliverance god and i think all of us can see the places that we have worshiped things other than god amen anyone with me on that places our hearts have been turned aside, places that we've trusted in for uh, power or pleasure apart from God. And so in fasting, it's this repentance, this return back to God. May we worship you and you alone. May you have our heart, God, and no no other. Another example of this is actually from the cry of the prophets, Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. I want your heart, not your actions, God's saying, just your actions. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That fasting isn't a punishment. Fasting is an invitation to a God who loves you, who wants the best for you, who is faithful to you. Return to me. God says. All right, 1 Samuel thirty-one, eleven. 11, uh, Saul, the king of Israel at the time, and his son Jonathan um, have been killed in battle, and uh, we get, but when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall, and they came to Jebesh and burned them there. They cremated them. And they took their bones and they buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh. And what did they do? Fasted for seven days. In that context, we have grief and mourning. They've, they've lost and they are experiencing the heartbreak of death. I just know pastoring uh, so many of you families that you know grief and you know it well even from this past year. And there's a place of fasting, of, of stepping aside, of just not trying to fill our grief and our pain with ice cream, but with meeting God. And so 2 Samuel 12, 16 through 17. Uh, also interesting to note, this uh, is the first time that fasting is a personal experience. If you noticed before, all the fastings are what? They're corporate. They're together. It's a community event. I think sometimes even in our evangelical experience of fasting, that's something that you do alone with God, and we'll get to, to where some of that comes from. Matthew six, when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, but but you'll notice the biblical uh, testimony of fasting is this thing experienced by the people of God together, for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, but this one david um is coming he's had this illicit affair with bathsheba uh she got pregnant by that uh, illicit union and um and the baby's sick and so david is begging for the life of his child and uh um and so this is we get first samuel 31 um sorry second samuel 12 when the inhabitant nope not even that where am i Oh, I just didn't write it down right. I'm going to read it from there. Second uh, Samuel 12, that's it. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted, and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. They're trying to keep, they're trying to talk about, oh, come on, buddy, you'll be fine, come on. But he wouldn't, he refused. Nor did he eat food with them. So he alone and is, uh, at this point, he's not grieving yet. The child's not dead. That'll come a little bit later. Um, but at this point, he's just begging God for his child's life. And I'm curious, as you enter into 2024, how many of you have things in your life, in your family, uh, in the world around you that you are begging God for? Or you may not know. You just know there's this thing in you that, that, that groan that words can't express Romans 8, right? I mean, there's something that you're just like, God, I need you to move. I need you to move here. Just between me and you, God, this isn't about anyone else around me. I just need you here. And we see this invitation into fasting in that space. God, I am opening myself completely up to you, dependent completely on you. There is no food that will satisfy the brokenness in my soul. Now wrapped into this specifically with David is his own repentance journey. But what we see here is intercession, petition. Ezra 8, this is after exile. This is hundreds of years later. The people of God have fallen away so far from God that they've been sent into exile into Babylon. Uh, God raises up a king, a, a, a pagan king, to send the, the children of Israel back into the promised land to begin to rebuild Jerusalem. Ezra has already begun, or to rebuild the temple, the, uh, uh, has already begun that process of rebuilding the temple with some of his key warriors and craftsmen. And now he's going back to get the families to come back to Jerusalem to live there and uh, and he's, he's starting to, to gather these families with all of their goods to make this treacherous journey from babylon back to jerusalem and uh and this isn't like they're not guarded by the soldiers anymore they're, it's not just a bunch of warriors it's a bunch of kids and and pregnant moms and donkeys loaded with household goods and he's looking at this going oh no we're going to get slaughtered in the desert. Any pirate that wants to come by, we are, we are lame ducks out here. But he's embarrassed to go to the king because his whole thing, the whole time has been, listen, God is with us. He'll take care of us. He'll protect us. He'll provide for us. Trust God. And so what does he do? Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Havah. Ha, ha, oh, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and some horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had already told the king, the hand of God is for good on all those who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this and he listened to our entreaty. There in Ezra 8 help protection. And I'm curious for you moving into 2024, how many of you are there things that you're wanting to move into, new places that you're that you're going, the goals and vision for your life, your workplace, your 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 family. Places you feel like the Lord is leading you and maybe you've trusted others to give you what you need on the way. But maybe it's a, Opportunity to pause and say, wait, who am I actually trusting in? God's given me this vision for my life. God's given me this goal for my company. God has given me this dream for my family. Am I trusting some venture capitalist to fund it? Am I trusting some expert mommy blogger to give me the advice that I need? Am I trusting in some good uh, coaching and mentoring from my company to give me the skills? Or, not that those things are bad, there's a source in heaven (laughs) that actually knows better than you do and really better than that mommy blogger, that coach, or that venture capitalist. And so Ezra calls the people to fast and to beg God to provide for them and to protect them. Nehemiah 1.4 I know this is a lot, bear with me. Nehemiah 1, the beginning of Nehemiah. So it's kind of simultaneous things. Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries during this return out of exile. Nehemiah, uh, Ezra was called to rebuild the temple. Uh, Nehemiah was called, and remember, to rebuild the the walls of Jerusalem, the protection of the city. And, uh, and so he gets word back from Jerusalem about the state of the city, how, how de- demolished it is, uh, dilapid, blighted, abandoned, forsaken, sort of like this property was <laughs> when we uh, first moved here. Um, I mean, just absolutely a total wreck, and it breaks his heart. This is not the way it should be. And, and so he, uh, he says, as soon as I heard these words, this report that he got back, from his hometown, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. And that, obviously, there's still, there is still this sense of lament. You know, side thought. For those of you that feel called by God to do something of significance in this world, to make a difference in this world, uh, and have dreams or vision for God to use your life in a significant way, the dreams, and then one of our... Family motto is dream big because you can never outdream God. But I mean, it's a, the dreams are good. But but to move towards that dream, this is this is the the consistently across all the prophets to move towards the dream of God in your life or for your life. First, requires that you grapple honestly with the brokenness of this world. That we are honest with the way things are, so that we can move towards the way things could be. And so we see Nehemiah here just being honest, like lamenting for the the state of his city. And how many of us now, again, keep bringing it up, but it's true, election year, how many of us lament for the state of our country? How many of us lament for the state of our community? for the brokenness of families, for all the things. And we say, this is not as it should be. Now, what's amazing is that lament isn't just stay in a place of lament. Nehemiah moves it immediately from lament to vision. And so he says, God, hear my prayer and give me favor with the king because he's about to go ask for this audacious plan to go rebuild the walls of a city. Uh, last one in the Old Testament that we'll do: Esther 4:15 through 16. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Again, this is this, like hero story of the Bible. I love it. This woman taken, you know, the vulnerable part of a harem, and God uses her uh, to save a people. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a and hold a fast on my behalf. She says, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. This is one of the the times that it's food and water. You see, I, my young women, will also fast as you do. We're, We're with you in this. She says, the mark of a good leader. And then I will go to the king. And though it is against the law, she knows that what she's doing, there's a a risk to it. Listen to this phrase if I perish, I perish. That this call to pursue the things of God, this call for deliverance of my people, is greater than my own concern for my own life. And how many of us, including myself, as much as we'd like to think we would sacrifice ourselves for the world and yet i can't even give up a meal you're asking me to not eat lunch how dare you i mean but yeah sure i would go and i would throw myself into the fire for my family would you because that hurts a whole lot more than being hungry It's not meant to be condemning. It's just trying to. All right, in the New Testament, first mention of fasting we get Luke 2, verse 36. This beautiful passage, this old woman, Anna, and uh, she's been in the temple. It says, night and day, praying and fasting, longing. She's worshiping, fasting, and praying. This woman, Anna, that, that embodies Watch Week. She never left and Jesus shows up in the temple coming up to them at that very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem for her what is it or what is fasting in that passage represent waiting on God waiting on God to show up waiting on his promises to be fulfilled and i wonder how many of us in this room are waiting on God for something what does she do? She doesn't just sit back and twiddle her thumbs. She doesn't get busy in her own power to make it happen. She waits, prays, worships. It's active waiting. It's not passive. Worship, prayer, fasting. And then you get that passage in Acts 13 that we talked about. So, um, so you get this sense of, uh, of Jesus... Jesus' um, followers, even after the resurrection, continuing this practice of fasting and praying and worshiping as part of their experience of the Lord. In Matthew 6, Jesus, uh, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus um, Sorry, step back. Matthew 4, you get Jesus himself fasting when he goes into the wilderness for 40 days before launching into ministry, encountering God. Uh, and we can imagine that Jesus embodying uh, true humanity, um, identifying with us as, as people in every way when he went into the wilderness and fasted. All of these different aspects of fasting were part of what he was carrying into the wilderness with God. Lament. Confession, repentance, not that he had sinned, but calling the people back to God, restoration, petition, intercession, all of those things, waiting for God to move, that, that he took all of this with the world in his 40 days of fasting, and then he comes out of that experience of fasting with God, encountering Satan in the wilderness. And, uh, and it says, it's a great phrase, in Luke, at the beginning, it says he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and at the end, in and, and Luke, it says that he comes out of, of the wilderness and the power of the spirit that something happened to him in that place that wasn't a place of weakness but a place of strength and so we see jesus model it uh and in the sermon on the mount that like pinnacle of his teaching uh he says when you fast talking to those who follow him so he assumes it of his disciples and so he models it he assumes it and then um and so then we, we have to wrestle with uh, this question. We already, we already talked about that, um, of when he says, yeah, they don't fast while I'm with them, but there will come a time when I'm not with them anymore. Acts 13, Barnabas and Saul set apart. They're launching into mission and ministry. Acts 14, 23, uh, they'd appointed elders in the church, and then having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord. There's this commissioning for ministry So what do we see from the scriptures? Well, we see, uh, we got that list there. Repentance, grief, lament, petition, intercession, deliverance, preparing our hearts for God, creating space for the Holy Spirit, preparation, empowerment. All of those in the context of of fasting. Most of the time is done together as a community, though there are some very specific personal fasts. And often it's initiated by the leader of a community, calling the people back to something, into something, forward to something. This continues on. The early church, there's this great ancient document called the Didache. Uh, This uh, is from like the second century and includes the practices of the early church. And one of the things it specifically talks about is uh, is fasting. And the early church, uh, those first followers of Jesus, as they were trying to figure out how to carry this gospel movement forward. Uh, they actually fasted every Wednesday and Friday. It's interesting, the reason, if you go, if you read, if you're interested in ancient documents, uh, I'd go, I mean, I, I would encourage you to read it, it's, it's um, really beautiful, the history of our faith, but uh, it says that we, we, we fast on Wednesday and Friday because the pagans fast on Tuesdays and, uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, sorry, Mondays and Thursdays. Now, I have no idea what that means and uh, what the pagans were doing on Mondays and Thursdays, but for whatever reason, Wednesdays and Fridays became the days that the early church fasted. St. Basil, one of the early church fathers, <clears throat> a great quote The more you deny the flesh, the more you render the soul radiant with spiritual health. He considered fasting a hero maker of the soul. And how many of you want your spiritual lives to be the lives of champions that's the language he uses listen to this fasting is a good safeguard for the soul a steadfast companion for the body a weapon for the valiant and a gymnasium for athletes fasting repels temptations anoints unto piety it's the comrade of watchfulness and the artificer of chastity in war it fights bravely in peace it teaches stillness in more modern times, John Wesley, one of his practices of, the, uh, of his um, blossoming movement was uh, that invitation back into fasting. The Jewish community fasts uh, as a regular part of their annual rhythms and celebrations. And then occasionally, as we talked about, it pops up in the evangelical church, but we have lost our way in this rich, deep practice of faith that deepens our encounter with God. And so, why do we fast? Two ways to think about what fasting is doing in us. The first is by far the most important. It's a creating space for us to encounter God in a deeper way. It's a it's a concrete way to experience your faith. It's this physical interaction with the Lord in a very embodied way. I mean, I feel it in me. And we're following in the example of Jesus. Jesus who modeled it, who assumed it of his followers, who talked about it, though he reset the point of it. So fasting is not to earn God's favor. It doesn't obligate God to something. It's not earning you spiritual points. It's about creating space to encounter God in a deeper way. It also has a unique way to reveal, and this is important, so bear with me on this one. Fasting has a powerful way of revealing what controls us. I'll say it again. Fasting is a powerful way to reveal what controls us. As we said before, for many of us, if we miss a single meal or our meal gets delayed even, we can get emotional or angry. So fasting illuminates, uh, illuminates that in us. And, uh, and so with humility, it's this invitation to recognize the ways that we're getting upset by relatively little and silly things. And then now, because we are aware of these things that stir us up, how how thin the margin of my patience actually is, how how much I feel like I need certain things, or the demands, uh, or my lack of impulse control, or the demands of my appetite, because I now have awareness of those places, It doesn't make them just go away. I'm aware, so I'm still feeling frustrated or angry or entitled. I mean, all these things that are still true of me, it's sort of like sickness, like cancer. Like, you know, no one wants to get a cancer diagnosis, but you're really glad when you do, right? This thing in your body that's killing you, that's poisoning your soul, I mean, sorry, your, uh, your cells, you want to find that out. And the same thing in fasting is sort of this uh, imagine it like a mammogram for the soul. It's uh, a. Write that down. It reveals these things in us our places of pride, entitlement, impatience, intolerance. Um, how thin our margins actually are. And then when we recognize that, we're able to be free to address it because we can see it. And so, we're inviting our church into, and this is truly just an invitation, uh, into taking watch week as a week-long fast. And for some of you, this may be for the first time. And so, the invitation to corporately fast with all of those reasons that we said before uh, in mind is... um, is that is we're we 're calling the church to, to for seven days starting tomorrow to to fast from sunrise to sunset now I, and ideally that means that there's two meals, so basically you 're eating in the evening um, and i 'll give some practical tips on that now if you want to enter into f- fasting as a spiritual discipline for yourself, my encouragement would be to take twenty four hours and, uh, and and fast from from food um, to grow into a longer fast period of Three to four or five days. You can. I've uh, never. I have personally. I've never done longer than that. The. Uh, um, my. I have a really good friend of mine who. Uh, um, one of his practices and uh, basically every other year uh, is uh, to do a 40-day fast, and that's just uh, um, basically lemon water for 40 days. And and he will. And maybe I should have him come give his testimony at some point in the next few weeks. But uh, I mean, he will attest to the power of that in, in his soul and his walk with the Lord. And so some of you I know I just say that and I immediately lost you. You're like nope. And uh, and if I'm honest, that is also my internal reaction. Uh, every time he tells me about it, I'm like man, praise the Lord, good for you. And uh, But I would say, I mean, to really as, as, as a, a discipline would either be entering into a regular rhythm of fasting and creating that as a practice for your soul uh, on an ongoing basis or to, to move into to see our pl- seasons times of more extended fast three five uh seven days of saying okay god i'm going to seek after you and again we'll uh, we'll get into some practices practicalities of that here in just a minute um i know there's a lot but like i said we're doing a deep dive teaching on something that we don't normally talk about um there's The second other area to talk about, uh, the primary reason we fast is to encounter God in a deeper way. But the second is that it's training. It's just good for developing, deepening our character and deepening our, our self-control, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The, the ability to deny ourselves. And in fact, uh, in the early church, I mean, sorry, in the monastic church, um, it was viewed as, uh, they viewed it in the same way as like soldiers preparing for battle. Uh, that this was a spiritual war that we were entering into, and they saw themselves fasting as one of the things that they did, like boot camp for the soul, uh, that, they, that they did to, to, to bolster their, their inner strength, that inner man, that inner woman. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're a person that has a hard time uh, with your mood when you're hungry, Uh, the call towards fasting from that perspective would be basically this, join the special forces and give no alliance to Satan. Become an expert at being hungry and learn to still be a pleasant person to be around and have godly character. And to recognize that there are times in our lives, there's the nature of life, that we will be uncomfortable. We will not get what we want when we want it. And if we're living in this space where our assumption is that we should always be pleasantly comfortable on my terms, then we're going to be disappointed a lot of our lives. And fasting is invitation into a greater discipline so that when we encounter the, na- the, the expected uncomfortableness of life, we can still be a person, a person of pleasant disposition and godly character. Which we should want that. Now I will say also this circumstantially again, 2024. We are about to enter into a year, and I want to speak blessing, not cursing, and so I don't want to predict anything negative for the future. But if time, if history has any way of teaching us, we can presume a year that is going to be incredibly divisive, chaotic, where it's going to feel like everything is getting shaken, and the voices of hatred, fear, and anger are going to rise to the top. And when you get shaken, stuff comes out actually when you get shaken the real stuff comes out that you're usually pretty good at bottling up and that is what happened in 2020 all the stuff that was hidden deep inside fear hatred anger starts shaking that two liter bottle and all of a sudden it explodes all over the place not that it wasn't there before it's just getting revealed we are about to enter into that year and so, my invitation to fasting as your pastor, into this practice, isn't just because this is a nice little spiritual discipline that Christians should try. It's because I want us desperately to be a people who are found faithful, who are deeply rooted in the things of God, that our character is strong enough to outlast the schemes of the enemy, that we are men and women of integrity, of blessing, of peace. And of faith, even if the world around us falls apart. Amen? And if that's not what we're interested in as a church community, <laughs> this is the wrong church. That's what we're going after, to become those kind of people, not to have religious experiences on Sunday morning. Training in Godliness. And so let me end with this and then I want us to be able to worship together and we'll set up our watch week, which I'm super excited about us getting into. And we have all week, we have all week to come up here whenever you want and pray um, and to to experience God, to worship together. I'll tell you about some cool things that are coming up. But real practically, a couple of things. So follow along for those of you that are entering into this this week or whether you're going to do it as an extended practice over the course of this year. If you take prescriptions... Check with your doctor, Uh, especially if you're going to do a fast longer than 48 hours um, just because it can mess with your dosages. So just if if there's anything going on medically, the caveat I gave at the beginning, uh, if that applies to you, um, talk to your your physician um, and just tell them what you're wanting to do and then that way they can advise you uh, with wisdom. Um, My second encouragement, uh, take it down a notch in regards to what you're eating before you enter into a fast. Uh, Classic... um, mardi gras mentality is i'm starting fasting tomorrow i am pigging out tonight (laughs) stupid just so you know it's not setting you up for success going to to begin to taper down um, and uh and so that your body begins to get used to using less calories you will survive that's (laughs) you will survive you don't need as much calories as we think we do uh and, uh, but dial it down instead of cranking it up um, and then you want to come if you're doing an extended fast you want to come off of your fast with fruits and vegetables uh, lighter food um, so this is fun so we're entering into the seven day fast together I hope as a church community you will join with our, our, uh, our staff and our leaders uh, to be a part of that and, uh, and so obviously that means eating a light meal at night but then entering back into fasting again come back to that, what we'll do during the day but then um, Sunday night, a week from now, uh, we're going to end our fast with our first worship night of the year, with the, our monthly worship night, it's the first Sunday of every month. And, uh, and so January 7th, we're going to do a worship night here at 5-ish, 5.30, 5 o'clock, and um, it will break fast together with communion, which is uh, historically the church's method of breaking fast. Um, is uh, taking communion together. So we'll take communion together, we'll worship together Sunday night, and then we still, we'll still also have church Sunday morning, just to clarify. Sunday morning we'll have church, and then we'll do worship night Sunday night, uh, break fast with communion that night, and then um, we will have a Mediterranean feast up in the coffee shop uh, for whoever wants to join us because feasting should always follow fasting. Resurrection came after crucifixion. Um, and then uh, limit caffeine, I know a lot of people in years that we've done fast before uh what takes people out early um is uh is caffeine and it's also sugar uh your your body is probably more addicted to sugar than you realize and uh and that that will have a very a real physical effect um if you cut out sugar and caffeine that may mean tapering uh caffeine early in the week just be wise with that um exercise uh i mean my experience um Unless, I, I, like I said, I have not done an extended, extended fast. And so I, I can't speak into that. Uh, but I would say that your body is more capable than you think, you, you think it is. Um, and so if it's not necessarily that you're going to go do CrossFit, then at least go for a long walk, uh, do yoga, do something, uh, get your body moving. And in fact, that would be my last little bit of advice, um, is that what do I do when all I can do is think about food, right? Right? It's like I'm trying to be spiritual, but all I'm thinking about is food. Lean into it, lean into it. There's a reason. All right, God, what do you want me to know about the fact that all I'm thinking about is food? What do you want me to know about that? I've I've gone literally 12 hours, and I am a miserable person to be around. God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you wanting me to know? Lean into it, and then just practically get up, get up, and go for a walk. And then that's why also it's beautiful if you've never practiced fasting to practice it for the first time this week together. Is fasting is always better in community when you can lament together. You can be like, yeah, it sucks, but we're in it together. At least we can make it another day. Um, And then, uh, but um, but also the church is going to be set up for a 24-hour prayer room starting after church today, and uh, whether it's 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. the point of fasting, yes, it's denying yourself. It's giving up something. But it's also important that you fill that space with something. And, uh, and I know in my own experience that it is easy for me to just get – I sometimes miss meals anyway, not because of anything spiritual, but just because I'm just working and don't think about it. Anyone had that? Like you're really into something, you're working hard on something, and you, wait, you look up and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's already 3 o'clock. Right? And so that's not fasting. That's just missing eating. Like fasting is creating space. And so my encouragement would be is like whatever time you would normally go to lunch or when you grab a snack typically or you have, <clears throat> sorry, you have that hunger ache or whatever, is get on your knees or get up and go for a walk with God. Invite God into that space. Come up here and go through the prayer stations. Like, focus your mind on the things of Jesus, not just what's going on on your belly. And I, I promise you, it will go away. You will survive, and you will find that God is faithful and present at the end of it. The hunger will end. God is eternal. So lean into God. Fill that space intentionally. Build space into your schedule over this next week or over the, during that fast that is saying, okay, God, this is between me and you. What do you want me to know? What are you teaching me? What are you leading me into? What do I need to repent of? How are you inviting me to lament? What are we grieving? What do I need to be honest about? Sorry, I said this was the last. I will say this too, and I think this is important culturally. Um, Don't try to mesh spiritual goals with physical goals. And this is why, and I told y'all this a couple weeks ago, this is why I broke away from doing the Daniel Fast this year as a church community, is because it became more of a diet than it became a fast. Now that that's bad, and Daniel Fast could be a a great healthy way for you to eat. Um, I hated it, but uh, but (laughs) I want meat, right? Amen? Um, But uh, you'll just kind of wreck your own conscience if you're, trying, if you're like, I'm going to really go after the things of God. I'm going to pray harder than I've ever before. I, I'm going to hear from God, and maybe I'll lose a pant size. It just, it'll mess with you. So just, I mean, just separate those two things. Great. Get your physical goals. Start working out. Start eating healthy. Start doing all the things that you know you're supposed to do anyway. Sure. This is not about that. And just go on in your mind, separate the two. Don't let what you're doing fasting-wise be connected to what you're trying to do uh, physically for your own physical health. Cool? Amen? All right. So we're going to worship. Uh, and, then, um, and then, like I said, you, what you'll notice is it, around this room is different prayer stations. And, uh, and when you first come uh, to pray, uh, and there's a few more prayer slots that we don't have anyone assigned to. Our goal is that there'll be nonstop prayer flowing out of here for the, the entire week. Um, I think there's about 90 total. I think there's about 40 something slots that have nobody signed up for it yet. Um, you don't have to sign up for a slot. You can literally show up whenever you want, but we want to have at least one person praying all the time. And so I would ask uh, very easily with just the number of people in this room if everyone just picked one time slot over the next week, we could easily, before we leave here today, have every time slot assigned for a watch of prayer. You'll come in here, you'll get a prayer guide. That prayer guide will walk you through the stations. They're numbered. Um, you don't have to go through them in order, though it's designed to walk through in order. And uh, you'll start with um, confession and communion. Uh, there's gratitude, creativity in the art station, intercession, uh, uh, praying for the neighborhood's nation as next generation, uh, getting word, prophetic words for our church, You'll walk through, and you'll actually be very surprised at how fast that hour goes by. Um, You may end up coming back and just focusing an entire hour on one station. Um, Just let the Lord lead you through that. It's a really beautiful experience. Bring a journal with you is my encouragement, um, and your Bible. and, uh, And we will, as a church, enter into fasting and enter into a deep dive into prayer over the next week. So let me pray for us. And God, I thank you for this beautiful morning. God, I thank you for the sunrise this morning, this reminder that your mercies are new every morning. God, thank you for this rhythm of our faith, of gathering together with the believers to remember who you are and who we are in you as your sons and daughters, to worship you, to grow together. And so I pray for this week ahead. I pray that it would be rich and deep and meaningful. God, that there's people here that are longing that you would give them a word for this year to hold on to. God, there's people here that are, that are desperate to see you move in their lives or in their families. There's people here that are grieving, broken over the state of this world. And so Lord, I pray will you meet us in all of those ways and even more than we realize right now. And so, God, we surrender this week to you. We surrender our lives to you. But, Lord, we specifically out loud, we surrender this week to you, Lord. Have your way with us. And then lastly, Lord, I do pray for every person here. You love them. God, you delight in your children. And so even right now, this sense in a supernatural way, that you just wrap your arms around them. Put an arm around their shoulder. So now, church, just keeping your eyes closed and that kind of take a deep breath. And allow yourself to just enter into that awareness of the, the presence of God with you right now. And if you're willing, just ask God God, what do you have for me this week? even if it seems scary or hard? How are you moving me, stretching me to grow in you? And if you're willing, just ask the Lord, Lord, will you search my heart? Is there anything off in me? Anything I need to confess or surrender to you? Anything blocking me from walking fully with you? So as we move into worship, I invite you to find a place to to kneel and to make your way to the communion stations, that body, that, that bread and that cup, that Remind us of the body, the blood of Jesus, the presence of God for us, the forgiveness of God in Christ by his blood. So when you're ready, just make your way into communion and let him have this time with you. Amen.